You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, happy Easter, everyone. It's uh, great to be together. This is a memorable Easter, no doubt. You'll always remember Easter of 2020, the quarantined Resurrection Sunday. And you've probably never experienced an Easter quite like this. Uh, you know, in your uh, Easter PJs with your mattress hair gathered around to worship the Lord. Uh, but you showed up, and it's great that you did. And maybe you're new. Maybe you're not even a churchgoer. I especially want to welcome you. Maybe somebody sent you a Facebook link or a YouTube link, and you clicked. Well, thanks for clicking. Um, we're so glad that you would join us today uh, as we meet for Easter Sunday. You know, I don't know about you, but in these days, uh, recent days, I have just been craving good news, just wanting to hear some good news. I, I take my phone and scroll through my news feed, just looking for a headline with some promise. And if there's any promise in the headline, you've hooked me. If it mentions something like flattening, the, the curve is flattening. I mean, whoever thought that would be an exciting headline? The curve is flattening. Who cares? You know, normally that phrase means nothing unless you're on a dieting plan. But uh, to see the, the curve is flattening and be excited is, is unusual. Or to see, uh, you know, death, predictions of death from coronavirus drop. I just saw that headline recently and clicked on it. Or uh, the plan to open the country country again. Um, these kinds of headlines, good news, um, they are something that draw our hearts right now because when life is upended and it feels like we are living in a constant bad news world, then good news sounds so sweet. And today, on a heavy day, this side of the curve, uh, I want to tell you some good news. As a matter of fact, the Christian message is fundamentally a message about good news. If you're new to the Bible, you may not know this, but the main message of the Bible is not called the doctrine. It's not called the philosophy. It's not called the dogma. It's certainly not called the rules. What it's called is the gospel. That's the main message of the Bible. And the gospel, literally, the original Greek word for gospel means good news. It is the story, the whole Bible is the story of good news. It's not about what we're supposed to do. It's about an announcement of what God has done for us. And the whole Bible is about this one story, God rescuing a people, restoring a people for himself. And the centerpiece of that story is what we're celebrating today and have been celebrating the past couple of days. It's the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is surprising good news. And it's surprising good news at a time like today. C.S. Lewis, uh, who's famously known as the author of The Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, was also a Christian spokesperson uh, in England during World War II. And he said many, time, many things that are memorable and have been captured during that season when England and so many other countries were suffering terribly. And he said this during World War II, God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience, but God shouts to us 
in our pain. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that we're positioned to best hear from God, to most clearly receive a message about God and from God in the midst of our suffering, that God shouts to us in our pain. And in this Easter story that we're reading this morning, we're going to see that God shouts good news to people in the midst of their pain. The resurrection story from Mark 16, which we're about to read, is a story of bringing hope to those who've lost their hope. Actually bringing hope to those who've lost their way. And today I want to read from that gospel, from the gospel of Mark, the conclusion to his gospel, and read this unique ending of surprising good news. That's what we're talking about today. We're living in a bad news world, and we're going to hear some surprising good news. And these first people to hear the good news received surprising good news as well. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, this is God's holy word. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And so they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Have you ever read a story or watched a movie or maybe even a series, a Netflix series or something like that, uh, where there was an ending that you didn't expect? Or, Or maybe it was just surprising It wasn't what you were uh, anticipating as a conclusion. uh, One of the most talked about finales of all time in broadcast television took place in May of 2010 when the final episode of Lost was shown. Those of you who watched Lost, can you believe that was exactly 10 years ago that that finale aired? Uh, I didn't watch the series, but I watched the finale, and the beauty was I watched it with people who enjoyed the series, and I watched the finale and said, what was that? And the people who had invested tons of hours of their lives watching said, what was that? It was an ending that no one was expecting. Some fans loved it, some hated it, but it left all viewers wrestling with their own response to what they just saw. One TV critic said, the discussions about the ending of Lost may never end. Lost may be gone, but it will hardly be forgotten. Exhibit A, I'm bringing it up in a sermon 10 years later. On the first reading of the end of Mark, you might ask a similar question. What what was that? These ladies go to find Jesus. He's not there. An angel tells them that that he has risen and that they're to go to Galilee, tell the disciples to go to Galilee and meet him there. 
and they're terrified, and they can't say anything, the end. <laughs> On first reading, it's, it leads us to ask, what is that? It's a surprise ending. And as we go through the text we just read, we're going to find that there are surprises baked into the storyline all the way through, starting with this. There are a surprising group of witnesses to the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. They, they buy spices, and they're going to come to Jesus' tomb to anoint him, uh, to, uh, to put, put uh, these spices and aromatic oils on his body, and it sort of uh, arrested the uh, odor of a decaying corpse. Now, these ladies are mentioned in the previous chapter as well. This is really important. In verse 40 of chapter 15, we find these ladies watched Jesus die on the cross. In chapter 15, verse 47, Joseph of Arimathea puts Jesus' body into a tomb. These ladies see where he is buried. And then in chapter 16, what we just read, they they wake up on Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, and they go to anoint the body. These ladies, in Mark's account, they are the thread. They are the eyewitnesses of each of the events that make up the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The whole account that Mark presents is based upon their observation, ultimately, and their account of what they saw. They are the original witnesses to the good news. That's surprising. Why? Well, in our day, it wouldn't be surprising at all if I told you that there were some ladies and they saw something and they told us about it and it's true, that would raise no one's eyebrows whatsoever. But in the first century, this was shocking. I mean, it's very sad, but the reality was, in the first century, women often weren't viewed as credible witnesses. As a matter of fact, this is grievous, but as a matter of fact, a woman couldn't even give a testimony Uh, in a court. She wasn't viewed as a credible source. In fact, this was a point that they're the first witnesses that was used against Christianity. In uh, in the second century, a Greek philosopher who presented arguments opposed to Christianity, his name was Celsus, this was one of his primary arguments. Christianity and the story of Jesus cannot be trusted. It cannot be viewed as believable because its original witnesses we're women, thus we shouldn't trust the story. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, because grace is always surprising. God loves to unexpectedly reveal himself to those who are viewed or may view themselves as outsiders. The religious leaders of the day, they're not at the tomb. The disciples of Jesus, they are not the first ones at the tomb. The surprising thing about grace is that God reveals himself to whomever he pleases. He isn't concerned about religious status, religious standing. These ladies didn't have the standing of the religious leaders of the day. These ladies wouldn't have had the standing of Jesus' disciples. But you don't need religious standing to encounter Jesus. Maybe you view yourself as an outsider. You'd say, well, I'm kind of an outsider to Christianity. I'm an outsider to the church. I don't really know much about it, never really been a follower. Well, maybe you are an outsider, but religious status does not qualify you to encounter Jesus. Your religious position does not qualify you to encounter Jesus. Your need 
is what qualifies you to encounter Jesus. And these ladies show up at the tomb grieving, broken. Their dreams are shattered. The, the, the one that they followed has been killed. Their hopes are dashed. They show up in need, and Jesus gives them a message through this angel who speaks to them. It's not your status, it is your need. They're disoriented. Did you notice in the narrative that they buy the spices and they are traveling to the tomb, and it's like halfway to the tomb, they say, oh, who's going to move the stone? How are we going to even get access to his body? They hadn't thought about the fact they don't have access to the body in all of their planning. They're, They're disoriented as they show up, and yet they get this clarifying message to them. God meets them in their need. You don't have to be a person of power. You don't have to be a person of position. You don't have to have any religious background or standing at all. You may have never been to church. You may have drifted. You may have left the church many years ago. That is not the question. The question presented here is, will you come to Jesus with your need? What qualifies you to encounter God is your sin, your brokenness, your weakness, your sorrows. It's this that encounters you to meet the living God. And these surprising witness who lacked stand, witnesses who lacked standing encounter God in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their disorientation. You know, you may feel disoriented. These are disorienting days. Everything feels weird. Everything feels strange. And it is in our disorientation that God brings an orientating message. He is not here. He is risen. Well, that's the surprising announcement. There's surprising witness, witnesses. There's a surprising announcement. The women find the stone rolled back. They enter the tomb. They find an angel, and he gives them a surprising message. Verse 6, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they lay him. Do not be alarmed is his first word. Well, of course they are alarmed. They have bought spices and aromatic oils to anoint a corpse. They aren't expecting to see uh, Jesus risen or gone. They're expecting to find him where he last was. And so this message is surprising. They're not expecting a resurrection. But please know, nobody is expecting a resurrection. Sometimes in our arrogance, uh, sort of our... uh, chronological arrogance of the time we live in, those who are post-enlightenment folks, those who are informed by science and know better than sort of these people of this age, we can sort of believe the idea, well, you know what, pre-enlightenment folks like this, they would have been superstitious, Uh, they would have easily been uh, duped by some sham of a promised resurrection or something like that. They they would have been gullible. They're not like today. We, We can sort of cast doubt on the story of the resurrection thinking these people were gullible. But they were not expecting a resurrection. Jews did not believe in a resurrection before the end of the world. Some Jews believed in a resurrection at the end of the world. Some Jews didn't even believe that. Greeks of this day, they weren't naive. They didn't believe in resurrection. When Paul preaches the gospel in Acts 17, when he gets to the story of Jesus being raised, the Bible tells us the people laughed. 
They laughed at him. Why? Because these aren't primitive, superstitious, gullible people. They are people that have seen a lot of folks die, and they know that dead people stay dead. The ladies weren't expecting a resurrection. The disciples weren't expecting a resurrection because they're not there. Now, this is a key point. If you've questioned the story of the resurrection or you've wondered about the historicity of this event, event, let me just point out that there's a real note of authenticity here. Here, Here's the first note of authenticity. If you were to make up a story about Jesus, call him God, call him a savior, say that he was resurrected after his crucifixion, the first thing is you would never place women as the primary first witnesses of the event because in that culture they lacked uh, believability, credibility for their testimony. But the second thing you would never do is you wouldn't have the resurrection occur without a disciple present. Jesus had talked about the resurrection a lot, and yet none of them show up. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, if you were the gospel writer Mark trying to write a piece of credible fiction, so let's say you're trying to write a fiction piece, make up a story, and you're Mark, and you had Jesus saying repeatedly to his disciples that he would rise on the third day, Wouldn't you have at least had one disciple thinking this through after Jesus' death and saying to the others, hey, it's the third day. Maybe we ought to take a look at at the tomb of Jesus. What can it hurt? That would be reasonable. That would make sense. But nobody said anything like that. In fact, they did not expect a resurrection at all. It didn't occur to them. The angel in front of the empty tomb had to remind the women, you will see him just as he told you. They had, they had to, the angel had to remind them, you've already been told about this. They're not expecting a resurrection even after Jesus taught it. And that is, there's a note of authenticity to the story with that point. He's risen, and the angel has a message. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And there's something surprising here as well when we think about the announcement from the angel. He mentions the disciples, but he mentions Peter in particular. He singles Peter out. Tell the disciples, but also tell Peter that Jesus wants to meet you guys. He wants to see you and welcome you in Galilee. Why is that significant? Well, because after Jesus was arrested, Peter was the disciple that denied he knew Jesus. Three times he said, I don't know him. I'm not with him. And at one point, he curses God, announcing that he does not know anything about Jesus. Peter failed at his greatest moment, failed tragically to stand with Jesus, whom he told he would stand with him no matter what. So the announcement from the angel here tells us that God God is the God of new life. God is the God of second chances. It's like he's saying, oh, ladies, make sure and tell the traitor. Make sure and tell the one who didn't stand with Jesus. Make sure and tell the one who failed his master that Jesus can't wait to see him and welcome him as he is risen. Just as the, woman, the women show us, rather, that it's not about your position to encounter Jesus, the mention of Peter shows us it's not about your performance to encounter Jesus. Peter failed God, and yet Jesus moves towards him. 
Jesus said this, that he didn't come for good people. Jesus said, I did not come for the righteous. I came for sinners. Your good behavior does not qualify you to encounter the resurrected Jesus. What, in, what qualifies you is your need. It is not your good works. It is you as you really are, as a, as a sinner, as a person who is failed. That's the whole point of the story, that we don't need a crucified and resurrected Jesus if we can do it on our own. The reason he dies for our sins, the reason he is raised to defeat sin and death is to demonstrate the grace and the love of God who does for us what we never could have done for ourselves. You may feel like you failed in many ways. And in some ways, I think this lockdown season is allowing us to see how ugly our hearts really are, how, uh, how selfish we really are, how quickly a small adjustment in lifestyle reveals anger and uh, discouragement. And it's just so much about us that has been revealed in this time. Many of us thought we were better people before uh, coronavirus than we do during the midst of the lockdown. But God doesn't want us to run away from him in our our failures. He doesn't want us to hide in our shame for what we've done or what's been done to us. He rather calls us by name like Peter, and he moves towards us in our shame. He moves towards us. Peter was humiliated, embarrassed. After his denial, he weeps for sorrow, having promised Jesus, if everyone denies you, I never will. And he did the very thing he promised he wouldn't do to the one he loved the most. Yet Jesus calls him by name and comes to him. Do you hear Jesus calling you by name today? I don't mean audibly, but as you read this text, as you think about the goodness of God, the power of God, the heart of the Lord to those uh, who don't have position and don't have a godly performance, a perfect performance to be sure, is there something that resonates in your heart with that? If so, God is calling you. God is moving towards you and making you aware of that by his Holy Spirit. It's surprising grace. Respond to him today. So there's surprising witnesses, there's a surprising announcement, and finally there's a surprising ending. The story ends in an abrupt way. Verse 8, they went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The, the, orig- the oldest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Mark end right there. And by far the majority of conservative Bible scholars believe that that is the original ending of the gospel. It's unexpected, and it is a powerful finale. Now, why do I say it's a powerful ending? Well, two ways, two reasons. First of all, it's open-ended. The point is these ladies have an overwhelming experience hearing of the resurrected Jesus. They had watched him suffer. They had watched him die. They had watched the place that he was buried. They had seen the sky darken during his crucifixion. They had felt the rumblings of the earthquake. They had experienced all of this, and now they're encountering an angel telling them that Jesus is alive and waiting to meet everybody in Galilee. They are astonished. They are speechless, and that's it. That's the whole story. I think this is brilliant. Mark is brilliant in his conclusion because what he's really saying here is here's the story, here are these witnesses, here's how it affected them. Now, what about you? It's open-ended. How does the ending land on you? 
it isn't tied up neatly with a bow. It doesn't connect everything to everything. It isn't, and here is the moral of the story. It isn't, and they lived happily ever after. It's they encountered the news of the resurrection, and they are stunned, speechless. Now, how will you react to the same news that Jesus died for sinners, that he rose just as he said he was, proving that his payment for sin was accepted to God Almighty, proving that he was who he said he was, God in the flesh. How will you respond? Will you receive this amazing news, a trusting Jesus to break into your life today with forgiveness, with hope, with purpose? If so, you can turn to him today. You can turn to Christ today, following him, believing in him, turning from your sin, turning to him and believing that he made a way for you to be reconciled to God, for your sins to be forgiven, for for him to come to you in your own sin, your own weakness, your own despair, um, or your own self-confidence and your own self-righteousness to provide for you what you never could provide for yourself, righteousness. If you are a believer, this is a call to come and marvel again. Jesus took our sins and paid the price with his sacrifice. He was separated from his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, he said. He was separated from his Father so that we as believers will never be separated. The resurrection tells us that he is with us, and that is the overarching theme of the Bible, God with us. He is risen, and by his Spirit, he is with us. So I think it's powerful that it's open-ended because it leaves every one of us not to say, well, that was a nice conclusion, but to say, what about me? How am I impacted by that story? And finally, he calls us to a new beginning. We're called to a new story. I never thought about this until reading some commentators this week, but it's very significant when he says he is waiting for you in Galilee. Why is that? In the Gospel of Mark, half of the references to Galilee are all in chapter 1. The Galilee is the place of beginning. Galilee here takes on almost a symbolic, uh, a symbolic power that he calls you back to where it all began. It's in Galilee in Mark 1. This is where he first announces the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. This is where he first shows he has power over darkness by expelling demons out of people. This is where he shows that he is the creator who has power over the creation by healing diseases with a word from his mouth. This is the chapter, Galilee is the place where he first reaches out to those who are marginalized, eating with sinners, hanging out with people that religious folk would have nothing to do with. And now he is saying, I am calling you back to that place of beginning. Mark ends the gospel with the resurrection, but it's not really the ending. It's, it's really the beginning of the sequel. It's really the beginning of the next chapter, which will find the disciples going to Jesus, which will find the disciples uh, shortly after this receiving the power of the Spirit, which will find the disciples walking out the ministry of Jesus Christ, bringing new life to everyone who believes. And it's a place of beginning for us, too. We read that he is risen, and we are called afresh to remember that we are empowered with new life. We are resurrection people called to make a difference today. In, in the current pandemic, I have, uh, I have been so grateful for the promises I've read in Scripture and heard other people share about the future, 
the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no suffering, no crying, um, no viruses, and no death. So the longing for the future where we will one day be raised because Jesus is raised, that has been strong on my heart in these days. But I want to say I'm also glad that the message of the resurrection isn't just for someday, as glorious as that is, but it is hope for today. It is hope today. Jesus is alive, and he is with us, and he calls us to walk with him and to be about his purposes, going back to Galilee where it all began so that we walk with him in the purposes he has for us. He is with us today. When we are isolated as we are, he's with us. That's the resurrection promise. He's with us by the Spirit. When we are experiencing anxiety The promise here is that he is alive and he is with us. We don't just have a memory of Jesus. We have a living Savior. When we experience family friction in these days, when we experience financial fears and financial challenges in this day, we can be reminded today that Jesus is alive, that he is with us, and that he is empowering and even using these moments of suffering for us to hear him shout the good news. He shouts to us in our pain, and he shouts good news. He is making all things new, and in these dark days, he is the light. He is the hope and the joy as we look to him, our resurrected king. Oh, this is good news, surprising good news for all who will bring their need. Not their religious position, not their religious performance, but their need to receive God's provision of a resurrected Savior who is alive today. If you've never believed, I urge you to turn to him today and receive the hope that he offers. And if you have believed, I call you to turn again and to realize that he calls us to a new beginning. And there is a glorious future, but it's not someday uh, in the future. It is today as well. He is with us. May the resurrected king fill you with his spirit afresh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for what you have done for us, what we never could have done for ourselves. None of us are good enough. None of us are righteousness enough, righteous enough. None of us have a good performance record to bring to you to receive commendation from you. Rather, we come with emptiness. We come with our need. And I pray for those who are watching today that uh, are experiencing deep sorrow and fear and anxiety, who are troubled, who are lonely and depressed in this season. And I pray that you would break in to their living room or wherever they're watching this right now with hope. I pray your Holy Spirit would touch people right now with the hope of the living Savior. Thank you, Lord, that we can say, Happy Easter, he is risen, he is risen indeed, and that makes all the difference. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 